We are all from a place where secrets are everywhere. Whether it's unsolved true crimes, urban legends, or ghost stories, here at Dead Town, nothing is off the limits. Every episode, we dive into the pits of the obscure. Dead Town combines horror with comedy to bring you the most interesting and entertaining topics in the most digestible way. Join in with your own stories by contacting the show at yourdeadtown at gmail.com. Now gather up your friends, turn on the lights, because you won't want to listen alone. Welcome to Dead Town. Let's get curious. Welcome to Murder Avenue. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Murder Avenue. As always, I am your host, Patrick Michael. And today we're heading back in time. We're going back to 1991, where a crime happens, a business is destroyed, as well as four young teenagers lose their lives. It's a, it's a regular day, going to get some desserts, or what is considered as a dessert, at a yogurt shop in Austin, Texas. And before we get into that, I got to say thank you to everybody who checks out the podcast. You guys are phenomenal. Having an audience or anybody who listens to the show is really key. It means the world. It really does. You guys keep me doing this. You keep me um, humbled because you know what? This is a fun this is a fun little journey for all of us and I hope that you're enjoying it as much as my, I am myself. So without further ado, Let's dive right into this case. There is no time to waste. Amy Ayers, who's 13, 17-year-old Eliza Thomas, 17-year-old Jennifer Harbison, and 15-year-old sister, and her 15-year-old sister, Sarah Harbison, all fell victim inside of a yogurt shop in Austin, Texas. It was, it's considered a mass murder. There was also sexual things that happened as well as arson because whoever committed this crime also burnt the building down. Now where this gets even more wild, it's an open case. So it's still... <laughs> Guys, whoever did this is still out there. Now, it happened in 1991. It's called the August, uh, Austin Yogurt Shop Murders. 
It was on a Friday, December 6th, 1991, as I said. The yogurt shop was robbed and set afire after four teenage girls were murdered inside the store. Now, Jennifer Harbison and Eliza Thomas were actually employed at the store uh, where the yogurt was being sold. And I'll tell you what. I certainly remember myself working these jobs where you're serving customers all day long and all you're trying to do is clean the store up so you can go home and finally wash the food smell off of you. In this case, obviously, the yogurt smell. And most of us that have had a job similar to this, we can certainly agree to the fact that it is <laughs> stressful. Especially when you're only 16 or 17. It's not, it's just, it's not exciting. It's not exciting. It can be stressful. You can hate the job almost. You can hate the people you work with. So who knows what the situation was? Who knows how they were actually feeling about the job? It seems like an easy enough job, especially for their age, working at a yogurt shop. Young girls makes sense. But also in places of employment like that, or like a gas station, and it's only one or two young girls or young women, it seems they're very susceptible to bad things happening. So you would hope that they would hire a man, or they would have some sort of security option. Because I've been to gas stations super late at night, and that's scary. Seeing just one young girl in there, you're like, what? it seems like uh, gas stations, as far as can, uh, as far as things getting robbed, are pretty prominent. They get robbed a lot. But a yogurt place, especially in Texas, <laughs> like are, are Texans known to eat a lot of yogurt? Anyways, they were uh, working the evening shift, Jennifer and Eliza. Uh, Jennifer's sister Sarah and her friend Amy Ayers had spent the earlier part of the evening at nearby North Cross Mall. So the other girls were just hanging out at the mall came over to the sister's job and now they're hanging out there like what I mean it's just a fun day a regular joyous day for teenagers what we're gonna go spend some money at the mall and then go hang out at my sister's yogurt shop and probably get free yogurt uh, let's do it that's exciting that's fun that's what you do when you're that age Now, all the girls were actually looking forward to a sleepover that they had planned for the night. Now, they were in the shop to help Jennifer close it down and to actually get a ride home afterwards. So they probably got dropped off at the mall. Mom said, hey, walk over to your sister's job. She'll take you home afterwards. Is that fine? Fine. The original investigator... The, excuse me. The original investigation spanned nearly eight years... Two men who initially confessed to the quadruple slaying were thereupon tried and convicted. However, they were released from custody in 2009 for lack of evidence. No new charges have been filed and local media coverage remains ongoing. As of 2016, the cold case unit in Austin continues to pursue the identity of the unknown male using DNA found on the youngest of the victims. So that's just a quick rundown of how the, how the case actually goes from top to bottom. But there's so many other things involved. So many more details that we have to cover. Because uh, shortly before midnight on Friday, December 6th of 1991, 
A patrolling Austin, Austin police officer noticed a fire coming from an I can't believe it's yogurt shop. So this is a, uh, some sort of a bigger chain. I've never heard of it. Yogurt's not as popular here <laughs> as I'd imagine it is in bigger cities. And I've definitely never heard of I can't believe it's yogurt, but they do have a page online, a website. You can check them out. Um, it's reported to his dispatcher that he sees the fire coming from this place. And after the fire was finally extinguished, firefighters discovered four bodies. And three of them were stacked one on top of the other. All of them were found undressed, but bound and gagged with their own clothes. Each victim had been shot in the head, thus leading police to determine the teenagers had likely died before the fire was started. So whoever this was came in there, and I don't know if it's just me, but it seems a little... It's not impossible, but it does seem a little difficult for one man to be able to subdue four teenage girls it seems like they would have a better uh, they would have a chance especially four on one but four on two I don't know so is there more than one person that could possibly have done this I would think yes more than no just before the murders, the girls had been seen alive at the yogurt shop as late as 10 o'clock. They had planned that sleepover for the night. So as I said, they're just hanging out at the mall. Decided to go, the mom probably or the dad said, hey, go to your sister's job. She will bring you home because it will be late as the mall has closed. And I think a lot of us have definitely had nights like that. We've hung out with our friends at the mall all day long and essentially still needed a ride home and got one from one of the brothers or whatever relatives that works in the mall. Or works near the mall. Or just the brother or sister came to get you. So I know I know this. The sounds that are going on at this time of night. Closing down a, 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 a customer service place. And it can be a little threatening. You can feel a little bit helpless. Almost like it's all closing in. Because it's dark. Everybody else is sleeping. It seems like nothing else is going on. And then all of a sudden they have to deal with somebody, what, kicking the door in, smashing the door, coming in aggressively, loud. And that could probably subdue all of them. It's that fight or flight thing. It just snapped in and they just sat there. Because most of these places have protocol when a robbery takes place. You're supposed to just give them everything. And they probably did. Because they probably assumed that nothing was going to happen. They were going to be fine. They were going to get to go home. But that's not what happened. At the time of the murders, a known serial killer, Kenneth Allen McDuff, was in the area. So, an actual serial killer was around this vicinity at the time. Now, is there a connection? Maybe. Maybe not. What's the M.O.? We don't know. But he did have a history of multiple murders involving teenagers, but he was soon ruled out of the crime. Macduff was executed for his crimes November 17th, 1998. So we can't ask him again. Austin police also admit that over 50 people, including Macduff, on the day of his execution had confessed to these murders. A confession in 1992 by two Mexican nationals held by Mexican authorities was soon disputed and finally ruled false as well. 
So people were confessing to this, and that's just such a weird thing to do. I've never understood confession, like just confessing to something even if you didn't do it. So how does one of these people are lying? There's no way that they're both they both have done it. But by 1999, we actually start to see some results. We start to point some fingers. We start to, you know, scrape under some people's thumbs and look underneath the rocks. On Wednesday, October 6th of 1999, police in Texas and West Virginia arrested four suspects in connection with the murders. So, like I said, it makes more sense for there to be more than one possible perpetrator. It doesn't, I mean, it, it is, like I said, it's possible for it to be one guy, but it does seem more logical for it to be more than one guy. Now, Robert Burns Springsteen Jr., who was 24, was arrested in Charleston, West Virginia. Michael James Scott, 25, of Buda, or Buda, Texas, was arrested in Austin area. Uh, Maurice Pierce, who was 24, was arrested in Louisville, north of Dallas. And Forrest Wellburn, 23, was picked up in Lockhart, Texas, southeast of Austin. The prosecution stated at one hearing the DNA evidence in this case had been tested against more than 70 people, including the four men. And after all the testing, it still didn't match. It didn't match. So that right there rules out all of them. So charges against all of the men were dropped when Austin Grand Jury failed to indict him, especially against Wellborn. Charges were later dropped against Pierce. And then only cases against Scott and Springsteen went to trial. Okay, so they didn't all pass. And that's weird because the match. It didn't match, but <laughs> what? So possibly two guys. And that right there, like I said, that makes more sense than just one dude. But if there's no DNA match to him, how can, how can we sit here and say, yeah, for sure, that's the guys. The investigation was complicated by matters internal with the police department in Austin. Uh, a detective was fired for allegedly coercing confessions. Now, we know that that's not an uncommon thing within investigations anyways, but it is more uncommon to be caught. A relationship between Springsteen's father and Austin police data processing employee prompted her to transfer. Uh, the detective, Polanco, was later reinstated after suing the city for discrimination based on race. He would eventually be promoted and retire with the full pension. Uh, Polanco was also involved in coercing a false confession in a previous murder case, which led to the false imprisonment. And um, both both of the men that were falsi falsely imprisoned were released after 13 years. And um, one of the guys was assaulted in prison, which uh, resulted in permanent brain damage. So not only did he get people put away falsely, falsibly, I don't even know if that was a word, but I still said it anyways, and we just rolled with it. But... <clears throat> This guy gets people put away only for us to find out he he should have been free the whole time. And not only that, while he was in there, he gets brain damage. So he's fucked up for the rest of his life. Now, evidence and suspects within this case, everything within this case continues to get very... Be weird. It's still weird. It's all weird. Because... Between the years of 2008 and 2010, even more strange things occur. Where you're like, what is going on? Is there a curse happening here? Because we're not, we're actually not getting any closer to where we need to be with finding out who did this. We're actually getting further away. Because, 
bad people are being revealed within the system as well as just the the case itself like what the uh, great more more okay good so in 2008 scott and springsteen actually request dna test as you would hope so august 20th of 08 the defense lawyers of scott and springsteen request dna testing of alternate suspects no matches against evidence discovered earlier that year were found seven jurors from the trials have stated that they would have not have convicted the men had this evidence been available at the time so dna evidence is certainly key but i forgot to mention in 2006 springsteen's conviction was actually overturned and the u.s supreme court refused to reinstate the conviction in february of 2007 now by 2009 uh june of 2009 judge mike lynch ruled in response to the travis county district attorney rosemary lemberg's request that one of the trials be continued the defendant Springsteen and Scott to be freed on bond pending their upcoming trials. Now at almost three o'clock that day, they both walked out of the Travis County Jail with their attorneys. Later that day, Lemberg responded to Lynch's decision with a very large statement talking about, you know, why these guys should be released, of course. Now by October 28th of 2009, all charges were dismissed against Scott and Springsteen. So the two guys that were still ultimately detained, even after DNA evidence said that 70 different matches were not possible, they're still arrested and they get to go home finally. But by December 23rd of 2010, Austin police officer Frank Wilson and his rookie partner conducted a traffic stop on the vehicle driven by Maurice Pierce. Now he was one of the four that was originally arrested. He was 24 years old at the time of the original arrest and he was arrested in Lockhart, I believe it was. Maurice Pierce, like I said, was 24. He was arrested in Louisville, which is north of Dallas. So he was one of the original suspects, the original four that was arrested, and these two cops happened to just be following him. They pulled him over, and it was in the northern part of the city. After a brief foot pursuit, Pierce struggled with Wilson before removing a knife from his belt and stabbing Wilson in the neck. Wilson, uh, the officer Wilson, who survived his injuries, subsequently pulled out his gun and shot and killed Pierce. So I got, I, I can't help but to wonder, that's pretty defensive for a traffic stop and after already being let go. So this was a free man. He was free, but he was the one of the original suspects. And during a traffic stop, he decides to run and stab a cop in the neck. So I don't know if that's like a sign of guilt, but it's certainly not one saying, hey man, why'd you pull me over? I was driving the speed limit, right? That doesn't make any sense. Why would any? Why would you attack the officer if you had nothing to do with nothing? And it's years later, 11 years later, almost 12. And now you're defensive? It's a traffic stop. And your first thought is run, and then also pull out a knife when you fight with a cop? There's something else under the surface, and we'll never know, again, because he's gone. So was it the serial killer? Was it one of these four that were arrested? Was it one of the two that got away? Was it the one that was shot? Who did this? The case still remains. And who's going to have the answers? Is it anybody close to the serial killer? Is it one of the four in this group? Will the other three pin it on Maurice now because he's gone? 
there's so many questions about this case and that's the one thing that's so annoying about true crimes is the end result a lot of times the end result is not what anybody wants there is no justice then and it's more upsetting than it is kind of relieving where you're like okay well they got him he's been captured but in a high publicity crime like this are there chances for the person to reoffend? Would the person who actually committed this crime go out and continue committing crimes like a serial killer? I don't know. Because much like what uh, the Wonderland murders, whoever did that, are they continuing to kill? Or is that just like a one-time spree and now you're living a regular life? Because it doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't make any sense. None of it makes sense. And that's what's so fascinating about true crime. Okay, so to sum everything up, apparently $540 was taken from the from the yogurt shop. The yogurt shop was actually a part of like a plaza, like a strip mall, so there was other stores next door to it. It was connected to those stores. It's now a nail place, so the location is still there. And the police department in which this all took place, they have a memorial right at the doors inside the police department so you see the pictures of the four girls as well as like a diagram of the location of the yogurt place now there was also uh, no sale put into the register at 1103 that particular night so an hour after they closed somebody hit the thing took the money out and I would imagine that's when it all took place What a tragedy, guys. What a sheer fucking tragedy. Four young girls running this place. It's like there's nobody over 17 in the building. And how long? Because apparently these two guys, there was two guys that had sat there for at least two hours. And one of the guys ordered a Sprite. And that's an obvious indication of, hey, we just got to buy something so it doesn't seem so weird that we're sitting here waiting. A sprite at a yogurt place for that long and then apparently the guy was in a green camo army like jacket and he helped himself to the back of the store just walked to the back of the store without any permission so did this guy already let them know ahead of time because I could see it being handled much like robbing a bank where they come in way early and they tell the girls kind of separately, hey, we're going to rob this place after everybody goes. You better wait. You better not say anything and act normal until everybody leaves out of here. And then bad things happen. Now, earlier I had said that the girls were stacked on top of each other. And three of the, all four of them were actually stacked on top of each other. But one of the girls survived long enough to crawl away. She was not that far away from the other girls, but she did get off the you know the pile and that's uh it's dark and when you see the guys that that are allegedly the suspects they look like teenagers but they don't look like people that are capable of killing four teenage girls stacking their bodies and then burning the place down and then also getting away with it somehow they just don't seem like the type
Okay, everybody, that's going to be our episode for today. Thank you so much for tuning in, all the support. Keep subscribing to the show, tell a friend, and don't forget we are on Twitter at 187MurderAVE. I put the links for all that stuff in the episode descriptions, but I love you guys. You're the best. I'm just so happy that this show is successful, and successful to me just means that I have people that listen to the show every week, and I thank you. You guys are phenomenal, but I will. We'll be back. Goodbye.